I was encountering some very interesting things happening when I was living by myself. So I was living by myself, uh, one bedroom place. What had happened was uh, I've been experiencing some kind of very strange occurrences. It could have been just electrical in the in the unit that I was in, but some things were really unexplainable. So, uh, uh, and so this kind of ties into kind of where I'm feeling about the whole paranormal uh, realm. Welcome to What the Fuck Just Happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a science skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, there's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder, what the fuck just happened? Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be speaking today with J.C. Bratton. She actually is fascinated by the afterlife herself and has a podcast and had reached out to me, so... I thought you guys would love to learn more about her. So a bit more about J.C. Bratton. She is a young adult horror thriller short story writer. In 2020, she released three short stories and one collection under her publishing company, which is called Blue Milk Publishing. Her current short story, Dollhouse, peaked at number one on Amazon's 45-minute teen and young adult short reads. JC's stories pay homage to the point horror novels she used to read as a kid, such as Slumber Party by Christopher Pike and Twisted by R.L. Stein. Some of her biggest influences are Alfred Hitchcock, Lois Duncan, Stephen King, and Richard Matheson. She also hosts a recurring podcast that she had me on called Things That Go Bump in the Night, and that centers around topics related to urban legends, horror, superstitions, and anything creepy. She lives in the heart of Silicon Valley, San Jose, California. So JC, did I leave anything out? Is there anything you want to add? No, that sounds really good. Thank you very much, Liz, for having me. So thanks so much for coming on. Uh-huh. Yeah, no problem. So I have so many questions for you. Sure. First of all, what got you interested in the afterlife? What aspects of that fascinate you? Oh yeah. Well, actually, you know, I've always been, you know, fascinated with with horror, as, as you as you mentioned with um, in in sort of my introductory bio. You know, I'm a big I'm a big fan of of horror, science fiction, um, anything kind of macabre and and thrilling. And um, because of that, I already have that sort of baseline interest. 
And then um, just over the years, I've always been a little bit more inclined to think about the paranormal and, and what could possibly be. But, but of course, I also have a very scientific mindset and I, and I, and I am very skeptical about things. So I don't trust everything that I hear about or, or see or whatnot. So, but I, but I do have an appreciation or affiliation or affinity uh, for things that, you know, that, you know, maybe we don't understand yet. And so um, what happened was in, in college, I took a course uh, called Advanced Personality. And in it, they talked about near-death experiences. And um, at the time, I was just like, okay, you know, just something to learn in class. I wasn't even really thinking about it, particularly because it wasn't affecting me directly yet. So it wasn't until my dad passed away in um, uh, October of 2017 that I started really thinking about energy and, and, and our spirit and what happens next when we, when we pass on. And, you know, I, I had had some unusual experiences after my dad passed away. One of which um, is actually in a uh, featured in one of my short stories, um, Parasomnia. It, it, it was, it's the situation where what happened is, is that when you're kind of going from REM sleep to wakefulness, I, all of a sudden, I started seeing all these rapid moving still images flashing before my eyes. And they're crystal clear, sharp, just, just flashes of pictures, picture, picture, picture. It was very, very odd. And it only started happening after my dad passed away. And so then, then I started thinking about this kind of collective. Do we have some sort of like collective consciousness? Or is, this one, is there one cosmic consciousness? So those kind of things are kind of like going through my head. Then flash forward to the um, beginning of... Uh, 2021. And then on Netflix, they, they had that one series about surviving death. And in that series, they had a, a whole section about near-death experiences where they interviewed uh, various people such as um, Bruce Grayson, Jim Tucker, you know, very, various uh, leading researchers from the University of Virginia, right, in their uh, Division of Perceptional Studies. So, so it was very, very interesting to, to listen to that. And that's what really got me thinking like, wow, you know, there, there are actual scientists looking into this. And so maybe there really is something about this. So I've done a lot of reading in, 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 this, in this sort of realm, watched tons of YouTube videos. Uh, and it's been, it's been really fascinating. And so, yeah, that's, so I'd say, you know, I, I've gotten really, really into it. So I have 800 questions. <laughs> sure. <laughs> First of all, the images that started flashing in your mind, and yeah. I, I'm going to double check this. I know it, it's called this when you fall asleep, but I believe mm -hmm. it's the same when you wake up called the hypnagogic state. <laughs> and I think that's when they say people get a lot of supposedly downloads, psychic information, or even just very creative information. From what I understand, when mm -hmm. Einstein would try to solve problems, he would often get answers during the hypnagogic state yes so what were these images were they of your dad were they like quote-unquote supernatural <laughs> what were they yeah. well that that's the interesting part is that um for the longest time or, or when they would happen i mean it's not frequent it doesn't happen every single time it's just every once in a while it will, it will happen and when it when it did happen they were like very crisp hd kind of color images of just like a, a child in a classroom, a woman smiling, um, some trees, you know, just like just random things that maybe it's, it's as, if, as if it was a point of view of somebody else looking at that 
at that image. You know, you know, I mean, that image was like somebody, somebody's point of view, you know? So, so it's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm seeing what other people are seeing. It's, it, 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 that's how it feels anyway, but it just goes by so fast. And, but, but the interesting part is, and I mentioned this in my little short story, because my short story kind of like is a reflection upon, you know, some of those experiences I actually had. There was a point in time where I was actually able to stop those images. So, so it would, it would just go flash, 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 picture, picture, picture. Then all of a sudden I'd, I'd, I'd tell myself, stop. And then one time I did, it stopped on two women. So there was like a still image of two women. And then what happened was I said, hello. One of the two women came to life, animated, and said, hello, back. Freaked me out. And I, I still have goosebumps thinking about it. And then I just woke up. So so there's a way to, I think there's a way to control it. And I think these are these are like real people. I mean, maybe just some, I, I feel that way. Anyway, it's just, it just feels real. And maybe this is that kind of realer than real kind of experience that people in the, in who've had near death experiences talk about. That's how I feel about it. So, so it's very, very strange phenomena, but I, and, and I've, and I actually gone on a few forums to see like, are other people experiences? What, what, what are they, what are they encountering? And sure enough, they, they, they're talking about similar things where they just have these rapid movie images, but, but not only, not always are they like crystal clear images of people. Sometimes they're just like, you know, shapes, um, uh, wiggly lines. I mean, like, like different, different kind of things, but, but sort of the same sort of thing where it's just, just rapid movement. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, one time I actually had these images that were cartoons and ended up being like cartoon characters, cartoon after character after cartoon character. And then I had it stop on a pig and then the pig, you know, instead of being a, a still image started talking to me and I'm like, ah, <laughs> and I woke up again and I, and I was really scared. <laughs> so do you remember what the pig said? I don't know. I don't remember what, what it actually said to me, but it was just weird. <laughs> And you say wake up, but these didn't feel like dreams. No, exactly, because it was it was that state where I like I know I'm. I mean, it's like I really want to. I really want to wake up at this point. I'm just like I, I'm getting ready to wake up, but then you know I, I'm I'm paralyzed. I'm just I I can't I can't get past. I'm like that 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 um, fluctuation between that that REM stage where I'm just you know my body's completely paralyzed to when I'm actually able to kind of move around and be be awake right so so is that is that is that that state is just so hard to kind of break free from <laughs> so yeah very very odd experiences but like I said really got me to start thinking about that whole idea of this kind of universal consciousness or sort of a collective sort of consciousness that maybe we're all experiencing and the women you said hi to yeah. who she said hi back and you felt yeah. drawn to focus on that one. Yeah. Do you think they're living people here now and you somehow connected in an alternate state? Do you think there's some women who've passed away and it was like mediumistic? How, I mean, I could come up with like eight different ideas to play with. Oh yeah. It, it, yeah. It could be any number of those things. Right. But I, I, I do think though, I was encountering people who are living in the present today. That, that's how it felt anyway. They, they felt, they felt modern. They felt like that, that, you know, I don't know, maybe just the energy or vibe about the, the two women. And then uh, even though the one, one woman kind of, you know, became animated and started talking, but it was just like the way they were feeling and, and, and the environment looked like that they were maybe, you know, just like real everyday people 
you know, maybe this person's in Wisconsin, this person's in, in Florida. I mean, who knows? And there's so. a woman sitting there saying she had this weird experience. She was half asleep and saw this other woman's describing you and both said hi. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, weirder things exactly. have happened. You have written kind of paranormal and fantasy did you always consider anything like afterlife beforehand fantasy or did you consider it real? Well, so, you know, I, I grew up mostly agnostic. My, my parents were never religious people, um, but I spent a fair amount of time in Oklahoma uh, of, you know, the Bible Belt. Uh, needless to say, you know, a number of my friends were pretty strong uh, Christians and, and believers. And so so for a while there, you know, it was about that kind of afterlife, you know, the afterlife that the traditional Christian would believe. And so I, I got to thinking about that at, at, at a certain point. I thought, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe maybe there really is some sort of afterlife, but, but I wasn't associating it with anything that maybe um, was touched on scientifically. It was more about just the general, you know, just faith. Right. But then what happened was, you know, over time, I just kind of went back to my agnostic ways. And I was just like, eh, I don't know about this whole thing. But I, I'm hoping, you know, I was having back in my mind, I'm hoping that uh, there's something that's going to happen afterwards, right. But it, it, it was just like one of those things where I, I guess you could say that I've always had sort of a spiritual nature and I mean, believing in, in some sort of connectiveness with that with amongst, um, you know, living things. But I, I think it, it, it's, it, it kind of it's been separated from religion altogether. I, I just I and I really do feel these days that you know you can you can table religion altogether. What we're experiencing or what we're hearing about from uh, you know the scientists and and these actual you know stories from real people going through all these different phenomena that there's something out there and there's something there's something really happening and uh, and that actually I think is very encouraging. I would agree with you. I feel the same. Like I had just only definition I'd heard of an afterlife growing up was religion. I grew up, you know, in very secular culture in New York. Being Jewish was pretty important in my culture. And but as a culture, never as you were actually would believe there was a God. And so the way the afterlife was always presented was the definition of it. It was either religion, or there's no afterlife. And there was no afterlife to me, was so much more logical than religion. So it's when I started finding these science and evidence mm -hmm. that my listeners know my story. So this is more about yours. But you know, <laughs> when <laughs> I found that I was just like, this never was an option. It was always one of two ends of the extreme, either yeah, religions, which have evolved so much over the years. I mean, however many years ago, people thought there was Zeus and you know, and then suddenly it's the Judeo Christian mm -hmm. God. I mean, just None of it, not to knock it. I know it gives some people strength and joy and it's part of their belief, which there's nothing wrong with. But if you're not a belief-based person and you have grief like we all do, it doesn't really do very much. And Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the first thing then, am I right, that made you think there was something more was learning about NDEs in school. That was the very first thing. Well, I mean, I mean, outside of kind of hearing about it from just a traditional Judeo-Christian sense, um, hearing about the NDEs through 
like I said, my advanced personality class where we talk about death and dying, that's kind of what the first time I actually heard about the whole near death experience realm, which I always think that for some reason, you know, at least people in the Christian faith uh, or Christian community really frown upon. And I, and, and part of it is just that, you know, there's, there's, I mean, maybe I, I don't know how how much we want to get into kind of religion here, but like just the way the way it works is that it seems that, um, you know, they want to at least a traditional, more conservative uh, Christian community really wants to focus on, you know, verbatim. That wasn't in the New Testament. I don't agree with this. With this, this goes, you know, table this. This is this isn't real, you know, instead of looking at it as actually a positive. I mean, my goodness, this whole near-death experience thing where people are actually seeing a light, people are actually encountering their deceased loved ones, people that maybe they they didn't even know passed away, and, and this this warmth and compassion and just, just, just genuine love. Uh, I would think that that's something that is is a good thing. It should be promoted. It should be looked at as a as a positive. And and for some reason, it, it just kind of gets shunned in that community. You know, I, I just found that very very interesting. But 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 yes, to your point though, I, I yeah, I I'd say that a beginning point in terms of learning about NDE came from college. But kind of tabled it, I tabled it in my mind until you know my dad passed away. Yeah, and that is interesting. You said that religion shuns it. I just, I don't really know very many people in the religious world. Belief versus evidence are two different things. And, you know, if someone wants to go the belief route, that's totally up to them. But, you know, for people who need evidence, like, I don't think you can believe whatever you want. You know, I mean, I could believe I have a billion dollars in my bank account, but let me start living that way and let's see what happens in my life. Exactly. Exactly. I I mean, what I just really like about things like NDEs is there's facts. It doesn't really matter. You can believe whatever you want, but it's these facts. And I know in my darkest days of grief, that's really grounds me. I don't want to say heal because I think grief is a lifelong process. And we both lost our dads, which just Mm -hmm. horrible, you know, and that, changed both of our lives. But for me, just being like, these are facts, whether you believe them or not, this happened. And thinking of some of the MD evidence that really helps me on some of my horrible days. Oh, sure. So after you lost your dad, you started remembering what you learned about NDEs. And that, Mm -hmm. am I right? And that helped you like you tucked it away when you learned it in school, and then it started to come back. Yeah, exactly. Is there one NDE, one aspect? Tell me a little bit about NDEs that stands out to you or that you like the best. Well, I think what happened was, um, you know, I started thinking along the lines of what happens to our energy or life force after we we pass on. And it was, it was kind of interesting um, uh, what, because when, when my dad pa- passed away, um, he, he was going he had he had a bunch of different health issues. One of which was um, advanced kidney disease, in addition to a, a stage four prostate cancer that he had. So he had he had a lot going on. Um, and then what he ultimately died of was kidney failure. And so he went into cardiac arrest. They sent him to the hospital, even though he was on hospice. He it, 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 a bit of a mix up. They just went ahead and sent him to the hospital. And then when the doctor came over to me, he's like, you know, your your father, his his um, potassium level was through the roof. He has kidney 
kidney failure. We can't do anything more about it. He's, he's, he's brain dead at this point. You, you know, you've got to make a decision. And so, you know, so my decision was, was to go ahead and uh, stop life support. But when that happened, uh, you know, we, we were able to, you know, say our goodbyes, they let us um, go into where he was at in the, in the emergency room. And so I, I held on to my dad's hand and I, was hope was talk kind of talking to him, talking to his spirit. Maybe you know if he had was in this out of body state at that point. I was hoping that maybe he heard me, and I and I just told him. I said, "Hey, you know, please, please provide me some sort of evidence that you're hearing us, or that you know that I mean that that you can assure us that you're you're okay." You know, I, and I I did that right, and but I, I really feel and and maybe it's just wishful thinking, right? But I really feel then that whole. Uh, thing where all of a sudden I'm having this like hip, uh, it was hip, the hypnopompic hallucination. Like, going back to what you're saying, I think it was like yeah, hypnopompic is the one going from wakefulness to uh, going from uh, REM sleep to wakefulness, and then hypnagogic I think is the other way <laughs> uh, or something like that. But but anyway, um, and and so what happened was you know so I felt like that maybe that was a gift from my dad to kind of give me get me start to start thinking about this whole realm and possibility, kind of kind of like opening opening up my mind again to the idea that you know. Hey, there, there's there's more out there, and then you know, and then like I said, just uh, w- more recently watching that series on Netflix about uh, surviving death, you know, just just got all the wheels turning, right? And it's gotten me really fascinated, and interested in this whole topic. And but I, yeah, I really do feel that there, there was a turning point there, uh, particularly when when my when my dad passed away. Is there a certain near death? experience story like the best? Well, um, so yeah, you know, there's just, just so many different ones. What, what's interesting, more recently, I was, I was looking at the website for Kenneth Ring, who did, he, he was the one who really pioneered that one um, study about, the study about uh, blind people who, who could see during their near-death experiences. So he wrote the book called Mindsight. I'm actually reading that now. Oh, you are reading that now? <laughs> Yeah. So Kenneth Ring's his website, he's got a lot of videos on there. Um, one of which is a video that isn't on YouTube. And it's this video that was created, I think in the late eighties, uh, regarding near death experiences in general. And what happens is, is that it that, that one was, was really fascinating. He had a lot of, um, a lot of interesting stories in it. It had a young Bruce Grayson, uh, talking about how he felt that this wasn't, he goes, he goes, NDEs aren't hallucinations. So it was, it was a very, very interesting to see him say that, you know, way back when, and, and, and you know, of course, continuing today on it. What had happened was, um, you know, Kenneth Ring had all these different videos of which the, he had, a, there, there, was, there was one video where he had select interviews from people who were part of, um, you know, his research on, on NDEs, of which the one, the one uh, account was this woman named Vita, uh, she's supposed to be, she was like this, this interview, I think happened in, it's some, somewhere in the, in the mid eighties. Right. So, so um, at the time she was sort of, I think she was like in her late twenties, early thirties, divorced school teacher. She had gone through a situation where uh, she ended up um, getting into some sort of accident that, that got her into uh, end up having a near death experience from her accident. She was, she said she was floating uh, above her body. She saw it was like doctors or paramedics working on her. What got one guy with a she said with a bald head. She was able to see a guy with a bald head putting um, a blanket over top of her. So that's when she knew she was not in her body anymore. And then what I loved about her her account was that she really kind of explained what what it what it means to be out of your body. She said I was odorless, colorless. I had no gender. I was just kind of one with the 
with like the atmosphere, one with everything. And so when she explained that, I thought it was very fascinating because she was just really like honing in on the fact that, you know, hey, I, 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 I'm just a spirit now. I, 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 but, but, I, but I'm all knowing at this point. I'm an all knowing spirit. And then she talked about the light, of course, being a very loving, wonderful, you know, just, just this warmth that you just don't want to get go away from. And the fact that, and the fact of the matter is, is that she said, you know, and she, she was talking specifically to Kenneth Ring about this. She was like, Ken, don't feel bad when your loved one passes away. Passes away. When your loved one passes away, they're going to a wonderful place. And, and she goes, they're not alone. And they, they're surrounded by so much love. You, you've got to be happy for them, is what she said. And it was, it was, it was really sweet because she was, she was so sincere about it. And, I, and I, I thought her story was very moving and touching. I mean, granted, there's a lot of great stories out there. And you and I had even talked about a number of them at, at, on the podcast that we did together recently. But, but yeah, that one it was just so touching and moving. So a lot, a lot of great videos that Kenneth Ring has on his website. If your your viewers want to look at that, because it's, it's he's got some really good ones on there. But yeah, Vita was her name. Yeah, and. One of the things I think Dr. Kenneth Ring has been studying that's so interesting is stories of blind people who have NDEs and then they go out of their body and they're able to see and they report back with evidential visual information. I think it's not people who are blinded since birth because otherwise how would they recognize to associate say green with green, but I will have to report back to you guys on this because I'm just at the start of the book, but I I have heard the generality that he does that. And that sounds great. I'm going to have to watch these videos. Yeah, exactly. And really great interviews from them. And, and, and I I know they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, the first person accounts and so forth, but they all, share, uh, you know, the common themes that even you find, you know, way, you know, with Raymond Moody's research and so forth, just everything just kind of all, all in alignment about the, the life review, the, the wonderful light that they encounter. There was, there was this other one, um, let me mention one more. Um, So when Kenneth Ring was also in an interview with Jeffrey Mishlove, he's got this episode or this um, show called uh, Thinking Aloud. And it was an older episode with Kenneth Ring. And uh, but Jeffrey Mishlove recently won the essay contest that uh, Robert Bigelow had for um, proving that there was uh, life after death. So so he actually won that essay contest. Uh, but but Jeffrey Mishlove, you know, he does he, he does a lot of different interviews with regards to people uh, to um, researchers in in the realm of near death experiences, to terminal lucidity and, and so forth. Well, anyway, when he was interviewing Kenneth Ring, and, and I think this episode probably was somewhere in the mid, the late 80s or early 90s is when this episode came out. But um, one thing he, that he talked about with Kenneth Ring with regards to the light was a, a situation where there was a, a person that Kenneth Ring had interviewed who talked about how he went further along into the light than anybody else had before. Let me just explain that quickly to everyone. Like when you have a near death experience, apparently, you know, you see a light, it's pretty consistent. You go through a tunnel and then you come back into your body. You don't go that far because anyone who goes further, we can't talk to because they didn't come back. So what ends up happening was this particular person that Kenneth Ring had interviewed said that when he got to the light, he asked the light a question. He said, what are you really? What is all this? What, 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 you know, who, who or what are you light being? And then what the light ended up doing for this person was it, it allowed him to pass beyond the light 
where he was able to see like a collection of souls. So that so the light itself he saw was just a connection, a connection of everybody's spirits all combined. And then from there, there was another light. He said, like maybe a primordial light that's beyond the light that everybody else is talking about in their near-death experiences. So that's a very interesting thing. So you wonder if after a certain point, then you go on to another realm and then that other realm has this other light or whatever, right? But but, but needless to say, of course, we don't, we don't know about these things because people have to come back in order to tell us these stories, of course. But uh, but yeah, so that was an interesting one too. Is in, so that, again, that was part of Jeffrey Mitchell's interview with Kenneth Ring uh, that you'll find. It's, it's on YouTube. That's so interesting. And this is just me getting a little philosophical now, but you almost wonder if all these different white lights are like... Sure kind of portals like the other side of like black holes or something like portals to other material universes as well because there seems to be evidence we reincarnate according to the research like by Dr. Jim Tucker and Ian Stevenson and you know what if you go through different white lights to different material universes and you know multiverses and they're different levels you know Mm -hmm. I mean earth has a lot of trauma maybe there are ones as you go to the one beyond the light we see, you go to a better one. Maybe they're not better. They're just different, like living in one country versus another, you know, maybe they're, you know, it's it's so interesting. I mean, with this stuff, it's just pure, that level's like philosophy more than evidence or science. But the fact that this person experienced that, I see that as evidence. Oh, I've got to listen to that. So one thing you say, you talk about how you write about like, you kind of associate paranormal, superstition, horror, have you changed your mind? Do you still see paranormal afterlife? Do you see this as spooky? Do you see it as, like, I'm, how do you associate that now? Well, that, that's, that's an interesting question because um, I, I, I want to bring this up, but, but um, I'll, I'll keep it more g- generic. So, so what ended up happening was more recently, I, I was encountering some very interesting things happening when I was living by myself. So I was living by myself, uh, one bedroom place. What had happened was uh, I've been experiencing some kind of very strange occurrences. It could have been just electrical in the in the unit that I was in, but some things were really unexplainable. So uh, uh, and so this kind of ties into kind of where I'm feeling about the whole paranormal uh, realm. So what ended up happening was I would notice that every once in a while my the light would come on in my bathroom on its own. And it wasn't just where, you know, the light bulb, you know, you know, the lights flickering and it just comes on the actual physical switch switched too. So and it was just on its own, just randomly. And I'm like, okay. So the first time it happened, I was like, yeah, it's probably maybe it's just electrical. Maybe, maybe I, I didn't quite hit the switch correctly and maybe maybe it was just like halfway between and and it it just flipped itself on maybe that's what happened that's that's how i count that's how i looked at it the first time then it happened again and i'm like i was in the i was in the laundry room and it was happening i was like i'm not really here in the laundry room why is this going on that was weird and i was like huh but then you know i'm i'm still kind of like okay don't worry about it it's not a big deal well <laughs> then all of a sudden I, I I had gone I had gone biking. I like biked 12 miles and I came back came back home and I was just tired. Oh my god, I was so tired. And then I had a um, plumber come in to put a brand new shower head in my in my shower. And I'm like, okay. The guy did that, he left. I, I was doing some laundry and I and I went to sleep. Then I woke up to put my, my laundry from the washing machine to the dryer. 
And then I'm like, okay, no problem. Go back to sleep. <laughs> Wake up, take my laundry out of the dryer. Something really weird happened because I had a rack where I would keep my towels, but I would always keep my towels folded uh, vertically. So they'd be, they'd be folded vertically, but not like uh, where they're, uh, you, you know how sometimes you can just, you, you'll put your towel over a rack and, and completely open it. So that way it will, it will kind of dry itself. But I actually fold them. I, I go to look at my rack, my towel that was folded earlier was now completely opened up and just and and on my rack and I didn't do anything. I didn't touch it or anything. And I'm like, oh my God, what happened? That's when it, I was like totally freaked out. And I'm like, okay, there's something going on here. And then what ended up happening was uh, uh, there were a couple more instances, one, one of which I was I was gone for the whole weekend. I come back and my lights were off again and, and the, the light switch was off and there was a crack in the, in the face plate. Oh my gosh. So anyway, needless to say, I, I think I had a, a paranormal situation going on. Maybe a friendly ghost that wanted me to conserve energy. I don't know exactly what it was. But uh, yeah, so but, but did it freak me out? I think that the towel thing did freak me out because I'm like, that that's like really creepy because <laughs> I didn't know what, the, what what it was trying to tell me at that point. But like the little light switch thing here and there, I, I wasn't as scared of, but it was like the, the towel thing was like, Ugh. but, but, but needless to say, I, I think it was a, it was a friendly entity, whatever it was, because it didn't, it didn't do anything horrific. Cause I even said, I was like, okay, I know you're here. What do, what do you, what are you wanting to do next? Show me something, you know? And, and it just doesn't, doesn't do anything. So I'm just like, okay, maybe it's, maybe it's just like a passing friendly entity. <laughs> it's a long winded, long winded story, but that's, that, that happened to me uh, relatively recently. <laughs> and now we're going to pause for a second for the question of the week. So this week, Ella T asked, is it true that we actually pick our parents? And if so, why do some people pick not so nice or abusive parents? Okay, this is a two-part question and it's pretty complicated. So for the first part, I can't answer that for sure. I know Dr. Jim Tucker, who I've talked about, who studies cases of kids with past life memories, has looked a little bit into between lives and there are a few children who said they picked their parents. I don't remember the exact details. A few have mentioned how they have picked their parents. And what's really interesting is they've also given evidential details such as this trip their parents were on, I believe in Hawaii, and they gave details of that that the kid could not have known. And this was the week and vacation where the kid was conceived. Uh, no, they did not give details that none of us would want to see related to our parents, but they did give evidential details about Hawaii and where their parents were and said they chose their parents. Now, why would someone pick abusive parents? I can't begin to answer that with any validity. I know mediums who also have said that we choose our parents said that often it's we come here to learn life lessons, maybe to teach our parents if they're abusive, maybe they came here to overcome that and they failed. I mean, I really can't 
give any answer to that that I would consider valid or worthy. That's just the information I've heard. And I mean, who knows? I just, if you've had abusive parents, anyone, that's just really shitty. And I can't say there's a good reason. If you have a question you want me to answer, send it to hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put question of the week in the subject. I know I usually say first names, but if you want to be completely anonymous, let me know. And feel free to reach out anyway, even if you don't have a question. I can't wait to hear your questions and hear from you. Club Care is a charity organization founded by Emma Justice after the loss of her father, David Justice, to glioblastoma. Club Care is dedicated to supporting children and families dealing with cancer. They strive to create joyful moments through meaningful projects impacting individual families as well as larger oncology communities. Funding for all projects is raised through philanthropic donations. Go to makingheadway.org backslash programs for a complete list of programs and activities. Inspired by David Justice, who died after a nearly two-year battle with glioblastoma, JET, Joyful Experience Team, was founded by his son, Oliver Justice, and his best friends, River Attard, Leo Gerstein, Jack Gorenstein, and Felix Ward. JET seeks to create joyful experiences for families struggling with brain cancer, a chance to enhance their lives with experiences that are rich in love and will be treasured for all time. We believe, like David did, that life should not be measured in time, but in joyful moments. JET will allow families coping with this painful diagnosis to go to special events and be treated like VIPs. Go to makingheadway.org forward slash JET for a complete list of programs and activities. No, I love that story. And I tend to think of those things like they're stereotyped as scary, but to me, it seems like just someone letting us know they're around us. And to me, that's so much less scary than the idea that we're just these like alone material beings and we die, we die. I mean, I think the idea of other consciousness in other dimensions around us probably are our loved ones. I doubt they're creatures that just want to harm us. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. Don't know yet, but I highly doubt that. And so, I know this isn't exactly about evidence, but I'm just interested before you got into afterlife evidence, what got you so interested in horror and paranormal? Well, I think it's, it's always about, it's about the unknown, but also about a little bit about, um, control. And the reason why I say this is that whenever I've watched like a, like a horror movie, like slasher fit, slasher horror, where you have this kind of movie maniac trying to do something. And then you've got the final girl who just tries to, you know, save the day at the end. I always thought about like, 
at the situation where it's like, how would I outsmart that killer? You know, and, and it always got me just kind of thinking about like, I could do that too. I, I, it's like, I looked at it as, as like training tools for if I was ever in a horror situation in real life, then I'll know what to do, you know? So part of it was that, uh, I guess the kind of horror that I really, really love that really kind of like makes my skin crawl and I get really kind of a little scared about is when you don't know anything about why this particular thing is happening. So for example, um, for a while there, we had these those stories about Annabelle that were uh, from the Conjuring series of movies. What had happened was the animal, in case in case your audience doesn't know about Annabelle, there was a, uh, it was a doll. I don't actually know much about Annabelle. I know it's a doll that was like a horror film doll, but I don't know much about it either beyond that. Oh, you don't know? Okay. Yeah. So, and so, cause what happened was with the whole Annabelle doll, it, it was, um, it was based on the true story because the, the paranormal investigators, they went ahead and uh, were talking to some nurses who said that their doll in their, in their apartment came to life. And, um, and what had happened was uh, it was, it was like a, a spirit had used the doll as a conduit is, is kind of what, what, what they were thinking. Uh, suspecting was happening but then what happened with that with that said they eventually took the stories and they made like sequels and and they kind of they put like more of an explanation to it like oh this doll at one point had um the uh the owner of the doll was some uh person who had you know was evil and then they used the doll to, to kind of like continue their evil ways, kind of like, kind of like Chucky in a way. And, and, and thinking to myself, I don't like that because now, now there's an origin to it. And I don't want there to be an origin. I like it when like evil is just is. I, that's my favorite kind of horror because it's so mysterious. You don't know why it's happening and it's just happening. That's the kind of evil I really, really like to hear about. And that's why like, for example, my, some of my short stories, one, the, the first one called Who's at the Door? I, I use the Bloody Mary urban legend in the story, but I made it to where it just is. Like, like you don't, there's no explanation as to why Bloody Mary came came about. She, she just is. She, she just is, and she's just evil. You know, and, and I like that kind of stuff. So, so, so I guess from from a horror perspective, yeah, I'm really interested in that horror that just is, or you know, using the information as a as data for survival. Yeah, which are two different things, but in one sense, I mean, we all write yeah. about like, or we don't all write, but like most people we read about fantasy, we read about reality, and the two tie in a little, especially when you get into science fiction, you know, so much of science fiction ends up coming true, or mm-hmm. could be true. We're now realistically talking about populating other planets, which used to be pure science fiction. So I mean, there really is sometimes a line between... Mm-hmm fantasy and reality that's not so set i'm just gonna say one thought about annabelle doll and i'd be curious yours from what i understand i don't think there's anything valid to it but if you look and consciousness is non-local and now people who are just very scientific and not religious based at all or even spirituality based in any way like a lot of silicon people in silicon valley are now really studying singularity. Can machines develop consciousness? And if you go with a theory, some are wondering if consciousness is built by our brains and then therefore built within new robotics. But also if it's downloaded from a source, if we're living consciously, not in material bodies, but our bodies are complex and aligned enough that it downloads into our body, which 
a lot of people who study afterlife evidence think and fit people such as Sir Roger Penrose and how am I blank? Dr. Stuart Hameroff, who've even worked with Stephen Hawking, think they're parts of our brain like mic- microtubulars mm-hmm. that download this consciousness and a doll in that sense. It's an object. And as we build more complex objects, there can be objects maybe that download consciousness. Is it always going to be scary and evil? Probably not. Could it be? I don't know. There's some evil humans. And it's just, you know, you can take this complete fantasy and there you can find grains of truth in it. I don't know. Do you think there's any truth to the Annabelle story? Is it pure horror, fantasy? Well, I think that, I mean, th- there there is that possibility that, for example, like, you know, spirits are kind of like, kind of trapped between two realms are uh, looking for ways to communicate and they use a doll as a conduit because it looks kind of human. Uh, I, I mean, I could see that as a possibility, especially if we look at that from that whole idea that, you know, there could be souls, spirits kind of trapped between worlds. So I, 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 I can kind of see that potentially happening. So I'm, I definitely wouldn't um, say that it's impossible that uh, this happened. It sounds like it sounds like something did happen that scared the heck out of those nurses because um, because you know it really that really did get investigated. It's hard to say because you know there's there's a lot of um, fakes out there and just like you know Jim Tucker when he does his research on the children who who have the past live conversations, they come back and he has to like you know thoroughly research it to make sure it's like is this is this something worth my time investigating because you know it could be. Not there's not any any kind of basis to it, right? So hard to say, but 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 I think I think I think it's possible for sure. You know, there's so much studies and evidence of PK, you know, mind's ability to affect matter, and that spirits sometimes yes. move objects. Why could they not move a doll? You know, there's there's something. Yeah. I, I'm open, you know, I, maybe not. The- well, kind of what, um, kind of, you know, tacking on with that, just like if we go back to what happened with Bruce Grayson with his very first story about the person who, um, who, who overdosed, who was completely unconscious and, and then Bruce Grayson and her, her roommate were in a totally different room, totally different area of the hospital and we're talking. And then when, when he talked to the, the unconscious. When Dr. Bruce Grayson talked to. Yeah. Yeah, when talking. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know the story of it, too. I think our readers will love it. I don't th- know if they know the full Dr. Gr- Bruce Grayson story, if you want to t- if you want to explain it to them. Oh, yeah. So so uh, Dr. Bruce Grayson is kind of one of our, uh, you know, leading researchers in uh, near-death experiences and a psychiatrist, right? And so when he was, you know, he was still a young doctor at the time, kind of new, new, to, new to the practice, he had a situation with... Um, a young woman who had overdosed and uh, she was uh, completely unconscious. He wasn't able to, to talk with her or anything. She had, she tried to commit suicide. So he ended up talking to her roommate earlier that day, Bruce Grayson was in the cafeteria and he was eating some, some spaghetti and he spilled some of the spaghetti sauce on his tie. But when he was talking to the roommate, he, he had to make sure that he, he kind of, um, buttoned up his jacket again because he didn't want that 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 stain to show up on you know it's kind of an embarrassing little stain but 
what had happened was uh, later on when he actually went over and talked to the girl who who was who had committed suicide, she said, "Oh, I already know who you are." And he's like, how could she know who he was? She was unconscious the whole time. He goes, oh, no, I saw you. I saw you talking to my roommate. You know, and I even saw that, you know, that stain on your tie. So so it, it's very interesting to know that at some point with, with the whole out-of-body experience portion of the near-death experience, there's that level of extrasensory perception or, or there's kind of like a little bit of a paranormal aspect to it because I feel like that either you know, at some point, maybe as the ma- as the brain and mind are separating or the brain and consciousness are separating, uh, th- that that higher level of consciousness gets gets activated, right? And 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 I feel that that that's why sometimes if people are experiencing like you know paranormal um, sort of activity of that they can that they are actually experiencing, maybe even without a near-death experience, it's like tapping into that like higher level of consciousness because there is at some point a separation that happens. And it's kind of like, maybe it's like in phases, like phase one, your, your consciousness and your brain are intact. Then phase two, it starts separating. And in that, in that time when it starts separating, weird things can happen, right? And when I say weird, you know, like, like paranormal, you know, like odd otherworldly things, right? And then complete separation. And that's when you get into that Vita situation where she, you know, she felt that, you know, she was kind of like this odorless, colorless kind of like mass that's just kind of floating around all over space, you know? So, so there you go. It's like, it's like, I think paranormal really ties in um, to, to, to this whole experience because, you know, you're, we're talking about an eventual separation between some, some sort of energy that's, that's that's embedded in us and our physical. I agree with that too. Then I'm going to ask you, because you have a fascination with evil, obviously like you're a lovely person, but you know, in the fantasy horror way, <laughs> and now you're studying real, you're also or learning about, I wouldn't say officially studying or writing about, but you're learning about real, genuine paranormal evidence and afterlife. What are your thoughts? Do you think there are evil spirits or entities do evil entities evil spirits exist well i think what happens is there there are a, you know these kind of lost souls I, I don't know if you ever saw the the uh, um, animated movie that came out in 2020 20 it was called soul uh, from disney pixar and it's very interesting because it, it has a lot of elements of near-death experiences and and kind of what people have discussed you know because they, they 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 show a life review happening they talk about you know where where, where kind of souls just kind of you know reincarnate so there's like a there's a big reincarnation aspect to that movie and also uh, a big as a major aspect of NDE in there. So, so, but in any case, in that movie, they talk a lot about like these, these people who, or these, these spirits that kind of lose their motivation and their, and their drive and they get kind of lost. They, they, and they become these kind of like lost spirits. And so I kind of wonder sometimes is that, you know, like, like I mentioned, maybe it's, it goes back to even the kind of the thought of a, a, a purgatory world that, that Catholics like to discuss, right? Is that, you know, I wonder if, for example, this, this sort of midway between, you know, you're, you can't go back to your body because your body was, you know, completely destroyed, you know, you, you can't go back to it. But at the same time, you're not ready for the light yet. And, and you're kind of stuck in this sort of like limbo state and that that can anger you. 
And that's where like maybe some of the kind of nastier spirits kind of like, or, you know, from, from what we hear from, um, you know, people who claim like demonic possession and things like that. Maybe, maybe that's where it's, it's those kind of people who are kind of stuck in this kind of state of limbo because they need to figure something out before they can uh, move, move forward, you know, or they're too attached to the physical world that they can't move on, you know? And so I just kind of, I, I mean, so I think there's a possibility. I don't know necessarily if there's any necessarily like true, true evil spirits, but, but I think it's like a, a, a maybe, you know, kind of a realm of misunderstood souls. Which is so understandable and realistic to how we are as people. I mean, plenty of you know, decent people, no one who actually would like cause horrible, violent harm or want to start a war or anything. I mean, people have really bad days or they're in really bad places and you'll go to the grocery store and someone will be really mean to you or you'll be like, why? What a horrible person. But, you know, maybe they just had a really bad day, you know, and they're just a totally normal, decent human being dealing with the ups and downs. And I could see why would spirits, if they're trapped, if they're mad about that? I mean, people get grouchy and we do that too, to each other, you know? And, and it, it may be, yeah, maybe it's more of a middle ground, a more optimistic approach of it. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, but it's, it's a possibility. It is. Yeah. I mean, this stuff's purely philosophical, but you know, as talking to someone who has an interest in fantasy and evil and horror. Yeah. <laughs> and what about, do you think though, Obviously, there are people who, I mean, I guess it's questionable if they're evil or what the definition of evil is. I mean, that's a full day long or lifelong conversation that never can be fully (laughs) answered. But people who are pretty much evil here, do you see them as going and being evil spirits? Like, I guess this is just in more in your fantasy books. Like, do you have images of what these evil spirits are or were they evil people here? So if someone like Hitler passes away. So I think that what happens is, uh, it, it, and maybe it's just, just from the evidence that we have so far from uh, the, the number of people or, you know, thousands and thousands of people who, you know, reported back on their near-death experiences is that, you know, when they get to the life review stage, and I'm sure that amongst those you know, thousands and thousands. And, and by the way, there was um, Jeffrey Long, who's also, um, who studies NDEs. He's actually a, radi- a radiology oncologist. So he's MD, but he's been also studying NDEs. He has a website where they, they've chronicled well over like 3,500 cases of NDEs. So it's very, very interesting. And in that realm of, of just like people reporting all these, you know, you would think that amongst these, would be people who maybe at some point committed a crime or maybe at some, maybe maybe accidentally killed somebody. I mean, who knows, right? I mean, uh, uh, you know, with those large number of people, there's a chance that somebody, you know, had something like that happen in their lives. With that said, they'll, they'll come back and talk about, you know, they had their life review. They'll, you know, see things from the perspective of the people that they affected and so forth. But there's never any judgment. It's, it's like it's that they go to this life review uh, you know, wh- whether it be with uh, the light itself or with I don't know, a proxy from the light that, that that's there with them, but but no one like really gets judged for it. It's kind of like everything's a learning experience. Everything's like, okay, this is what you did. Maybe that person killed somebody. I mean, who knows, right? This is what you did. This is what you how you how you affected everybody else. So now you know. Now at the at this point, it's kind of like if they can't go back to their regular body, you would think that maybe at this point. This is where 
maybe reincarnation comes into play where it's kind of like, okay, now what's next for you? Okay, you you obviously didn't learn empathy, let's just say. Well, let's go ahead and send you back and you're going to be in a situation where you're going to start being empathetic and you're going to actually learn that you're going to go through, you're going to have to go through all of life all over again. Sorry, but you can't come here to the light yet because you're not ready yet because you haven't learned. Because so, that's what I see. I feel like uh, what, what based on all these accounts that people are really emphasizing that it's all about learning. It's all about trying to get to the point where you're so, even maybe it's just kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where you kind of reach the point of self-actualization. Because once you hit that point of self-actualization, you've kind of, you've mastered it. And then if you haven't mastered it yet, you have to just keep going back. So, so I'm just kind of, I mean, I mean, it goes back to, you know, Hinduism, right? I mean, one of the oldest religions in the world, all, all, you know, talk about this, you know, they can't all be wrong. I mean, maybe, you know, I, I would think there's something to this, you know, a human definition of trying to understand some knowledge of some memory of something before we came here and knowledge that we're going back to it. And yeah, I do know, I remember reading about some NDEs yeah, where someone I believe it was a soldier in Vietnam had killed somebody, had killed people as soldiers do. And when he passed away, had an NDE and was resuscitated, he felt the pain of the people he killed. He felt all the pain of their family. Yeah. And it, it was not a judgment. It's like having a good teacher or a good parent where there's sort of like the spirit guidance there, discarnate guidance who's like, you're not, you know, that punitive, you're a terrible person, but wow. So you did this and this is what happened. Yeah. There seems to be some learning. I, I mean, yeah, we just understand it, but it does seem that it doesn't, that there isn't no one who's done horrible things almost seems they're not evil, which it seems really hard for us to understand when you have a Hitler, but in this bigger picture, this deep understanding of I did this thinking this. And I think there's some ways that's a little much for us to understand with people who've caused the worst harm. But at the same time, I think there's something to it. You know, I mean, most of the people who do horrible things, they've lived unbearable tragedies. Or, you know, if you talk to people who've maybe been in prison for 30 years, who murdered someone, you can have a conversation and they explain where they were at and you can have an empathy for them. You can see they weren't just this horrible person. There's usually a story behind it. And yeah, exactly. And it goes, I mean, it goes back to just the whole idea of like, if it's like, if we break down a little bit of, you know, Judeo-Christian religion in, in the sense that they always say, you know, like, Hate the sin, love the sinner is what they had said. I mean, this was a Southern Southern Baptist thing that they talked about when I, you know, growing up in Oklahoma. But what, but what that means is that you know, it it's like the people people you know are generally good. You know, it's situations they go in, uh, maybe maybe something in their biology. I don't I don't know, but but like the, the actual core of that person, the core spirit that kind of gets into that person you know, is, is innocent, it seems, you know, and, and, the, and the environment and the body and the physical kind of shapes things, right? And so you kind of wonder sometimes is that who who's, you're, you're not at fault, you know, we didn't wake up one day and said, you know what, I'm going to be this evil person the rest of my life. You know, I mean, for the most part, we're pretty much ingrained to help each other out and be good people, you know, like, like, we're, it's, it's kind of 
ingrained in our in our being, you know. Um, but you know, sometimes it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't work that way. You know, there's a lot of, of negativity and and uh, quote unquote bad people in the world. You know, it's it, it just happens. But but at the core, you would hope that you know there was this kind of like deep ingrained moral fiber that says, no, I I I want to be good to other people. I want to be empathetic to people. I want to, I want to, you know, do good in this world. You know, I, I think at, at the core people are like that, you know, uh, but you know, circumstances don't always turn out that way. Right. And then, you know, maybe, maybe that's, that's you know, the whole idea of karma, you know, that eventually uh, what will happen is, is that you have to keep, keep trying until you actually get, get self-actualized, actualized, you know, so. Definitely. It's getting a little bit into quite a bit more into philosophy, but yeah, you can see that. And I think I've heard that line, love, love the sinner, hate the sin. And I've heard it oddly, like this, I've heard it misapplied when I've seen it online, usually used in very, like, I guess where I've seen it is used like to promote homophobia and bad things, which sort of adds another layer of sort of interesting about what like this badness is because people will use it thinking they're doing the right thing, maybe being homophobic based on their upbringing. So, you know, it just shows like this twist of sort of in a way doing people who seem bad doing the best they can, you know, you can hate someone for being homophobic and it's easy as a scene, you know, going through life being like, Oh, that's horrible. But you know, if you maybe knew their whole life story and they were taught this, they have a fear of burning in hell. I mean, I don't know. It's just when you can look at things in a much more complex way, which we don't always want to do in our day to day life. Yeah. Nor maybe should we always, because sometimes that allows for mistreatment of people, if, you know, to get too uh, permissive. Of Yeah, and, but, but I think what's, what's interesting is that you kind of always wonder, like, you know, you kind of wish everybody at some point has some sort of NDE. And that's like, you, you know, like, you don't want people, you know, always, you know, almost dying or something like that. It's just a matter of, like, experiencing that, that, that essence where you, you actually – get to get to see how your actions affect others and be able to come back and fix that and or or become a better person after um you know experiencing that you know the reversal where you actually see how you you've affected other people i would love it if more more people got got that experience because i think then it, they can really develop that true empathy and I, which is you know just totally missing in this world i mean i mean granted we like you said you don't want you we don't want everybody to be pushovers and you want people to be taken advantage of but at the same time there's a you know, there's, there's, there's not enough love in the world as they say. I, I mean, yeah, I know that's almost like a cliche thing to say, but I a hundred percent agree. And if the people who behave horribly, maybe starting at a young age were sounds so like hokey, but in a way, just like hug being like, what's wrong? Why are you acting that way? Behavior that's often rewarded instead of comforted, you know? Exactly. So really makes you rethink what evil is. And so it's going on an hour and I could keep you all night because this is so interesting. But I guess I'll ask you like a few final questions. Um, Is there a fiction story that you wrote viewing as pure fiction early on that you, after having studied this, you see really differently now, now that you've studied afterlife evidence? Well, that's, that's, that is interesting. Um, 
Because see, I I had only um, been writing short stories after my dad passed away. But 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 um, my first short story, Who's at the Door, which is kind of like a more traditional type of ghost story, was something that I wrote with, before I had really kind of done more research on the whole era, realm of NDEs because because I ha- I still hadn't had that experience yet where I had you know like they said the hypnopopic hallucination I still hadn't had that yet so it wasn't uh, so w- once once I wrote my second short story that's when I, I had already you know learned more about that whole concept of the you know my the, of the hypnopopic hallucinations and the and the potential of some sort of like you know universal consciousness so so my first story yeah that, that would be more of a the traditional ghost story but my, my writing probably hasn't really changed too much in that respect because my, my third story, which is Dollhouse, is a, is a very also a traditional ghost story with dolls. Uh, but 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 I guess I guess I am a little bit more sensitive to the fact that there's uh, that the spiritual world, you know, uh, around us is is is, is sometimes misunderstood. Uh, it, it it's there's possibilities. Uh, there's there's um, you know based on the the evidence we have from not near death experiences and also just from you know general philosophy we we know that you know there's we, we shouldn't discredit everything that we're we're hearing if somebody says that they they've had a situation happen to them like for example like my weird situation with with my towel if somebody told me that a few years ago and I, I might just come back and say ah they probably just that they they did that you know but but now I'm kind of thinking well, there might be something to it. <laughs> you know, you never know. I agree. After all the stories I've heard, the people I've met. And so I know you have your podcast also. Are there any episodes you're really excited about that you want to share with all of our listeners? just want to uh, mention that I'm going to have a couple more podcast kind of featuring more along this line of NDE and, and this kind of umbrella. So one is in May, I'm actually going to have a podcast with an author who's also a philosophy professor. Uh, so his name is actually J. Steve Miller, and he's written books about terminal lucidity and um, NDEs. I'm just jumping in here for one second to explain terminal lucidity. I know we talk a lot about NDEs, so you know what those are. Now, terminal lucidity is this really fascinating phenomenon where people who've been incoherent, maybe they have Alzheimer's, maybe they've been some in comas, I believe, but essentially they've been very incoherent for some time. And as they get towards death, often the day before, they will suddenly out of nowhere be completely sane and present and coherent. It's this really ununderstood, fascinating phenomena. Hospice nurses and doctors talk about it a lot, actually. And now back to our conversation. His book, his his latest book was actually the foreword was written by Jeffrey Long, who who is also a, you know like I mentioned, he's the guy who has that website with like over thirty five hundred NDEs documented. So so it's really cool. So so um, we're going to be talking um, in May. And then another thing that I'm looking at, and I'll probably do um, a podcast on here pretty soon, is regarding 
uh, people who have dissociative identity disorder and how that relates to this whole idea of a universal consciousness. Because it's very fascinating knowing that, you know, people who um, are having these situations where they have these multiple identities or multiple personalities that, you know, how it, how is how is that happening? Is that is that evidence of this whole idea of you know our bodies being a conduit of of, of spirits, right? And that because one person wrote in an article saying that the the this this whole idea of a universal consciousness means that it, it, there, yeah you have this kind of uh, universal spirit or entity, but it to, to in order to experience life it ha- it. It manifests itself in all of us, in all of these different personalities. So that way it can experience and learn uh, about life, you know, it's very philosophical, uh, but, but I'm, I'm looking into that as well. So uh, all part of this kind of a uh, little realm of, uh, of uh, interesting topics in the world of consciousness and the, the mind body problem. As I'm sure you've heard, the Supreme Court in the United States just overturned Roe v. Wade, which protects a woman's right to have an abortion if she chooses. Now it's illegal in some of our states. If anyone is looking to obtain an abortion and you live in a state where it's illegal, you can check the following sites. I suggest using a VPN, virtual private network, which hides your identity on your computer or phone. These are the sites, Women on Waves, womenonweb.org, aidaccess.org, plancpills.org, wholewomanshealth.com, abortionfunds.org, and of course, Planned Parenthood. I linked all of them on our Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore and they're saved in our stories. These are also great places to donate and see if they need any help. Approximately 185,000 murder cases went unsolved from 1980 to 2019. On average, 66% of homicides are solved each year. So what about the other 34%? Alarmingly, the number of murder cases that went unsolved by police hit a new high in 2020, resulting in only 50% of cases being solved, leaving far too many families with no answers, no resolution, no closure. That's why we investigate and report on unsolved cases, to spread the word in hopes of helping families who are searching for answers. We don't sleep, we're just actively looking for her. These girls were alive. They were living, breathing people. They weren't a picture in the media. There was a a body found in a truck recently. None of us know anything about that body. Who who was it? What happened? What could have happened? Who could have been involved? There's no answer. And, And it's just horrible. A true crime series investigating mysterious unsolved cases. Real people, real stories, real crimes. Tune into Speaking of Crime with your hosts, Gia and John. Available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. We are at Speaking of Crime on Instagram and Facebook, and at Crime Speaking on Twitter.
Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to share that my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife is available now for sale. If you go to wtfjusthappened.net, you can see the link to buy it. I'll also have the link in the podcast show notes. I know many of you want to know how exactly did I come to change my mind about the afterlife? Well, this book is all about the first stages of my exploration into this afterlife evidence to where I'm at today. It starts with the awful part of when I lost my dad, how as a science-minded atheist, I first began to explore if there was any possibility of an afterlife and what and who I found most compelling. I also share some stuff that was not so compelling, such as a very clearly fake psychic medium reading and a pretty ridiculous seance, but that's balanced by some amazing peer-reviewed studies on mediums, medium readings, parapsychologists, and just a whole bunch of what the fucks, including some really inexplicable personal things that happened to me, and some really incredible signs I got from my dad. Despite the topic, it's actually funny, mainly because I'm just like such an awkward person. And you also get to learn about all the amazing people and incredible characters I met along the way, as well as more about the research that helped change my mind. And some of the people you learn about have become some of my really good friends and mentors today. So go to WTFJustHappened.net and order it. If you've already read it, please rate and review on Amazon. I cannot tell you how helpful that is. And share with any friends who might be interested. Thank you all. I'm so excited to finally share the full details of this crazy exploration with all of you. So where can our listeners find you? Oh, yes. Um, so basically, if you just go to my website, it's called bluemilk.co. If you go there, you'll see everything about all my different stories that I've written, uh, links to my podcast, links to articles I, that I write for um, Mystery and Suspense magazine, just, just a bunch of different things about me. So yeah, definitely bluemilk.co is the best place to go to. And thank you overall for an amazing conversation. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much, Liz. To get more information on what the fuck just happened, go to wtfjusthappened.net. There you can order my book, What the Fuck Just Happened, A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife, and you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. You can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them, trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram 
at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore or email me at hello at WTF just happened.net. And remember, you don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened. <laughs> <laughs>